This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. Welcome to Pantsuit Politics, where we take a different approach to the news. Today, we're covering the drama at OpenAI over the weekend and the fragile ceasefire currently in place in Gaza. Outside of politics, we're going to talk about friendships, specifically friendships between men and women. I think this is the hardest time of the year to make these episodes because we're all kind of done with anything that is not urgent or -hmm. delightful. That's my calendar Mm -hmm. right now, the urgent and the delightful. (laughs) And everything else (laughs) feels rough to me. And I kind of struggle with balancing that sense of what the calendar is doing with the fact that world events continue to unfold. They are important. There are so many people who don't get to just focus on the urgent and the delightful or for whom the urgent is so heavy and so serious and so frightening. And so we're just going to try here to hold both things at one time, that the news will not stop even when we'd like it to, that there is something privileged and luxurious about that desire, and that it is okay to feel what you feel. And we're going to make our way through with all of you, and we're so glad that you're here with us. Now, if you are a member of our premium community, we do have one last matter that is both urgent and delightful, and that is the final live event of the year. It will be November 30th at 8 p.m. Eastern. You can find all the information about joining in on Patreon if you subscribe there. If you subscribe through Apple Podcast Subscription, please make sure you are on our mailing list. Apple doesn't share your contact information with us. So we have a brief form for you to fill out to make sure you get information about events like this. There is a link in our show notes, or you can email us at hello at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. We won't spam you. We promise. We just use your email to get you the information about events like this. We can't wait to see you all Thursday night. It's going to be a blast. Next up, we're going to talk about OpenAI. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. 
they have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Have you heard the word of the year? No. According to whom? Is this like a Merriam-Webster? Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. No, the I have What is it? It's authentic. <laughs> that feels a little <laughs> scoldy, Merriam-Webster. <laughs> a little on the nose. It's a little on the nose for what we want to talk about in this segment because they referenced artificial intelligence, misinformation, this feeling of what is real, what is not in picking this word. For 2023. Authentic. Authentic. Not like we're trying to live our best lives. We're just trying to live no, our no, realest no. lives. Just right. the real ones right here. Yeah. The verifiable lives. I think that's right. Okay. And I thought it was very interesting coming off a very dramatic weekend over at OpenAI where they fired Sam Altman on Friday and rehired him by Sunday. Drama is the word of the year at OpenAI, I think. And I think it probably always has been. When you look at the founding of this company, you had a group of people who decided we're going to change the world, but we're going to do it right. We're going to do it exactly <laughs> right. We're going to put all these guardrails around ourselves to make sure that we create artificial general intelligence, something mm. that rivals or surpasses the human brain. But we're going to do it in a nonprofit because we cannot trust that ambition next to a profit motive. And what do you know? It got a little complicated. Yes, because they figured out quickly we need more money than we can raise in a nonprofit model. So they sort of spackled this profit model onto the nonprofit model. So they were trying to do both at the same time, which inevitably came into conflict. Uh, the Daily did a good piece on how you, you just had these two competing visions, which was an optimistic model of AI and a more pessimistic model of AI. You have researchers and academics primarily making up OpenAI's original board. Then you have the the profit guys come in. There's inevitable conflict. And look, we're learning more and more about the board's initial decision because they didn't say much. They just said, we've lost trust in Sam Altman. We're learning more and more about what that meant. But look, back to the word of the year. I realized while I was reading a lot of the reporting and thinking about Sam Altman, I, I I don't trust him. I've never liked him. I don't find him to be authentic. When he speaks, my brain tells me not to listen. That's just my gut reaction to him. So reading the reporting where they were like, we didn't trust him. You know, he got kicked out of his other 
company for much the same reasons that are being reported he got kicked out of this one, which was he was going off and, and starting other companies. So, you know, I kind of understand to a certain extent where they were coming from, but the reaction from the staff was, no, we trust him. We want him back. We will quit if he doesn't come back. I have many more questions about this situation than I have answers about it. Mm -hmm. I want to hover for a second on your point about that conflict between we're excited about AI and we're nervous about AI, the optimism and the pessimism, because I think it's easy if you're taking in these stories from a distance to see that as two competing visions within the same organization. It feels more accurate the more I read to see those as two competing visions within almost all of the main characters in this organization. The board member, Ilya Sutskever, who was one of the founders of OpenAI, was a very important employee there and who seems to be the person who kind of sparked this action from the board with a concern he had about the direction and the pace at which uh, Sam Altman was pushing to launch new products. When you read a little bit about his background, He is such a believer in artificial general intelligence. He said, feel the AGI so often that it was almost a meme or is almost a meme within the company. So this guy is into what they're doing. At the same time, he wants to pump the brakes on what they're doing. I just think everybody there feels the the drama of it all, that this is really big, that it's happening really fast that they know more than anybody else does about how this stuff works and this stuff surprises them on the reg. They can't believe how fast it's moving. And so when you have that kind of conflict nestled within an untested corporate structure, right, a a corporate structure that in and of itself is designed in part to create friction, you can just see how you get to a mess like this. Well, that's interesting that you read that he led it. I read that he was like the swing vote. So it seemed to me from reading it that Helen Toner, who's another academic, it was a tiny board, a tiny board made up of like three academics and a guy from Quora. And she had published a, a research paper that was very critical. Her and Sam Altman had a very tense email exchange about it. Um, what struck me when I read this, I was like, oh, that's it. That's it right there. I think this was in the Wall Street Journal piece. She said, basically, if the board's mission was to ensure that the company creates artificial intelligence that, quote unquote, benefits all of humanity. And if the company was destroyed, she said that could be consistent with the mission. And I thought, oh, there we go. There we go right there. Like, if we got to blow it up to save humanity, I'm here to save humanity. Well, there were a lot of other people there, I think, that perhaps hold some of these ideas about humanity, but also stand to make a lot of money. I don't think the money can be ignored, right? I mean, like you have this for-profit model kind of added on. You have, like I said, this tiny board. You have this CEO who is everywhere. He's everywhere. He's on podcasts. He's at Congress. I don't believe anything he says anywhere he goes, but whatever. Um, And so I thought that was so interesting. And it does seem to be that, like, that Microsoft hired Sam Altman in the in-between small amount of time, And said, like, well, we'll just build it over here. We'll take all your employees or other competitors were taking their employees. Did you read some of the reporting that Anthropic was competing for the employees? And that had been a source of conflict for the board previously. Because I think somebody left and went and formed Anthropic because they were so concerned 
the, the mission to save humanity had sort of been lost. And I, I, you know, dream big, but I think so much of this shows just the limits. I don't care how big your technology is. Right now, in 2023, there are a lot of human beings involved. And to me, that's what comes across sort of as you read about all this drama. So just to be really precise, it was a six-member board because Sam Altman and Greg Brockman were also board members. Right, right, right. But these four board members acted without Sam and Greg to make the decision that Sam would be fired and removed from the board, that Greg would be removed from his seat as chair of the board, but that they would like to keep him on with the company. So just— That's a coup. A real dramatic set of events leading to this firing, which then happened over like a Google meet. And yes, I had read that part of that conflict around the Helen Toner research paper concerned her being complimentary of Anthropic's efforts to prioritize safety Mm -hmm. and kind of suggesting that Anthropic was doing a better job with safety than OpenAI. I don't know how I feel about Sam Altman. I I think I mostly feel ambivalent about him. What I do know is that he's 38 years old. He has the backstory of a lot of Silicon Valley leaders in that he went to college until he decided it no longer served him. He didn't finish, Mm -hmm. and he thought he could go off and make lots of money. And he does have money tied up in lots of different ventures. He had a very weird exchange when he testified in front of Congress with Senator Kennedy of Louisiana about how he just makes enough at OpenAI to pay for health insurance, but he doesn't have any equity and doesn't make a lot of money from that company. And I think that gets to the heart of some of these problems. Everybody has these big dreams, both about what they're making and how they're going to make it in a new ethical way. I would never sign on to be a director of a company where I was told my fiduciary duty was to all of humanity. That doesn't (laughs) mean anything. What is it? If if my fiduciary duty is to everyone, then it is to no one, right? Everyone is going to have a different interpretation of what that means. Well, it's not even a fiduciary duty because it's a nonprofit. So what, your duty is just an ethical duty to all of humanity? I love the thought of saying we are not beholden to maximizing value for shareholders. I love experimenting with that. But that has got to mean something much more concrete than we're always going to keep the good of the human species at the forefront for anybody to know what they really are obligated to do when they sit down in a board meeting. Well, now we have a whole new board. Helen, Ilya, and Tasha are out. So the academics are pretty much out. And you have Brett Taylor, the former co-CEO of Salesforce, Larry Summers, former treasurer secretary, president of Harvard University, and Adam D'Angelo, the core CEO who negotiated Sam Altman's return. And they're going to expand the board. That's the part from like sort of both sides, I agree on. And I think Microsoft, who's a massive investor in OpenAI, was pushing for, which is y'all need more board members. That was too small of a board. They, but they had board members leave and they couldn't agree on how to replace them. Who knew Will Hurd was on the board of OpenAI one time? Not me. I didn't know that. That makes a lot of sense to me because of Will Hurd's background. And secretary intelligence, yeah. And in Congress, Will Hurd was like pushing Congress to get on board, like figure out that all this is coming. How are we going to deal with it? I wish he had stayed in Congress to try to continue that work. Seems we could use that expertise. Wonder if he feels that way these days. I'm sure he does not. 
<laughs> since we have a historic number of, of people not running for office again already for next year. It seems like not the place anyone wants to be. Well, we also thought this drama at OpenAI unfolded at an interesting moment where we had two big stories about misinformation and how they drove public reaction. We had an explosion at the Canadian border that sparked a lot of panic about a terrorism attack, government officials coming out and saying, no, no, that's not the case. And then you had a really, really intense sequence of events in Ireland where there was an attack on a group of people and then sort of anti-immigrant misinformation spreading about this attack that led to very violent riots in Ireland. And so I think we're just continuing to see this sort of misinformation environment growing. And I I think about this a lot. Like, what are we going to do when we really can't trust anything we see? And I don't know if we will sort of go back to you have to see it on a news site and we'll sort of retrace our steps back to news sources. But that doesn't seem the, the direction people are going. It seems like more and more people are getting their news from TikTok. That's the direction I'm going. Because I don't trust what I see on social media anymore. Mm -hmm. The fakes of Taylor and Travis are too good for me to trust anything that I see, especially coming out of a really charged political situation. A thread for me between the Rainbow Bridge explosion, which looks like this couple in the Bentley were just driving so fast that they crashed and fuel and air mixed and it caused it to explode. That's the latest reporting that I've been able to read as we sat down to record today. But there's a thread there that that suddenly became hysterics about terrorism at the northern border and whether these people were immigrants. And then, of course, in Ireland, you had this anti-Algerian sentiment and the election in the Netherlands. Like a lot of places yep. are capitalizing right now on we don't like each other. We can't trust each other. And certainly the conflict in Ukraine, the conflict between Israel and Hamas, all of that feeds the hunkering down, closed off. Anyone who's an other is a danger to me. And TikTok is where that goes to become like exponentially radicalizing for people. And I want no part of it. I want to know what's happening in the world I don't want to turn away from anything. I, I am happy to have my own biases disrupted and my own narratives challenged. But I want that to come from places that have a lot on the line as they're telling me what's happening in the world. Well, and they don't get it right every time either. But at least they correct it. Right. <laughs> at least they try. At least they say, OK, we are going to wait until we learn more. I think that's the problem. It's not just this sense of threat or it's that the sense of threat feeds this idea that I must know now. I must know exactly what happened right now. And that is almost never available to us. Whether we're talking about open AI, which we're just beginning to learn, I think some of the issues there and what happened, to, you know, definitely immediate events like explosions or violence. But it's like people want all the answers immediately. And so if the news sources are being slow to provide information, they want people on the ground telling them what's happening, right? And look, I've, I've felt it myself. You know, you get in that sense of, I don't want to do anything else. I don't want to go about my life when this seems so scary. So I want to 
learn more because that gives me a sense of control and safety. But there's nothing more to learn. I've even been in those moments where I'm like searching out other sources that I know aren't dependable just because I want to know more. I want to feel better. And I think, you know, the awareness of that instinct and the awareness of that emotion and sort of the cycle it it kicks off is really, really important. Well, the world is full of delicate situations and violence around the globe, just like you just referenced. Up next, we're going to talk about the very fragile ceasefire currently taking place in Gaza. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi-connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is Bake from Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Thank you. 
as we are recording, the current reporting is that Qatar has released information that Israel and Hamas have agreed to extend the current ceasefire for an additional two days. So as this episode comes out tomorrow on Tuesday, we will be continuing a ceasefire with the exchange of hostages. I think as as we're recording Monday morning, there were 58 Israeli hostages that had been released and over 100 Palestinian prisoners who had been released in these exchanges. Over 200 aid trucks a day have been entering Gaza. I, I listened to reporting that said sort of that the infrastructure is beginning to come back online. Maybe the individuals in Gaza are not feeling that impact quite yet, but like sewer processing plants and places that are just essential to society are getting a lot of that aid up front. And hopefully that the people of Gaza will start to feel that soon. I know there is concern about famine and infectious disease. So those big picture infrastructure pieces are critical, as is maintaining this fragile truce so that it can continue. Because I heard reporting this morning that the level of aid flowing into Gaza right now needs to continue for months in order to create a safe place for all of the people who live there. Well, I mean, there's just complete decimation. I mean, I don't think there's any other way to describe what has happened. I thought the reporting from The New York Times on sort of the type of bonds, the level of bombing, the, the level of loss of human life far outpaces anything we've seen in even modern warfare. I mean, 2,000 pound bombs and densely populated urban areas is just game changing. That's the word we keep using after October 7th is that everything is different now between these two players and in the region and and in the world. Um, I'm so encouraged by the Biden administration's working with Qatar to negotiate these exchanges. I I just can't fathom the level of intensity, the level of organization, the level of detail when you're talking about who gets released, where they go, where is the aid flow, what does this mean? I mean, I think it's a testament to everyone involved that Hamas fired some missiles after the ceasefire over the border and that it still continued, that the agreement and the timeline that had been agreed upon went forward. That seems nothing short of miraculous to me. The whole thing seems miraculous to me, given how little trust exists between the parties here. Even as you zoom out beyond Israel and Hamas and and include the United States, Egypt, Qatar, these are not countries that are hand-in-glove partners. And that so many people were able to keep this so secretive for weeks that the Red Cross has been involved and managed to keep it secreted for weeks. It's really amazing. And I know that it is, in the face of everything that's happened, you know, not good enough, right? That that we wish for so much more here. But this is so much progress compared to my expectations for how progress could unfold that I am holding my breath with like, cautious optimism about what could be possible next. I think when we consider the conversation around ceasefire, even both things are true, that there was enormous movement happening behind the scenes that sort of confirmed the analysis we did on the show, which is we don't know. We just 
We could be working towards a ceasefire and we have no idea. And also, I think the continued activism and protest and demands for a ceasefire mattered. I do think it mattered. I think it probably accelerated the pace or at least raised the stakes, you know, sort of continued to focus on the solution. But I, I mean, I guess what I would say is I never thought that wasn't the focus, at least not for the Biden administration. I never for one moment thought that the the number one sort of motivation was to find a hostage exchange, a humanitarian pause, a ceasefire, whatever you want to call it or however you want to sort of put the pieces together, that that wasn't sort of the the motivation. And so I agree with you to be here at this moment in time and feel like we have made movement. I'll just say movement. I'm not going to say which direction. Just any movement at all feels really encouraging. The reporting that I've taken in suggests to me that the activism of Israelis to their own government saying, we demand that you prioritize the return of these hostages mattered a lot because it was not a given that the Israeli government would prioritize the return of the hostages. And in fact, I think that Netanyahu's government was disinclined to prioritize the the safety and return of the hostages because it considered the elimination of Hamas to be its primary goal. And those things are in significant tension with each other, especially because of the density of the area. Everything is different. And that includes the relationship between the Netanyahu government and the Israeli citizens and the relationship between the Netanyahu government and Hamas, because there was um, a type of symbiotic relationship. There's a really great piece in the Washington Post about how Netanyahu didn't want a two-state solution. He didn't want to see any sort of reconciliation between the Palestinian Authority and Hamas. And so the sort of breadcrumb approach, like a little bit of funding from Qatar, sure, some periodic prisoner releases, sure, to sort of ease the kettle and find this, this place of stasis. But what ludicrous leadership to believe that you were finding some place of stasis in this environment. That is a failure. It's like 75% of Israelis believe he should leave leadership, which I'm not Israeli, but I tend to agree with. Um, And I think the same is true of Hamas. Like, it's a much more difficult situation because you're punished in Gaza if you criticize Hamas. I don't just mean like a slap on the wrist. I mean, violent executions if it's seen Um, you know, real repression of the people and free speech. So it's I think it's a harder thing to gauge. But, you know, this piece cites some citizens that are willing to speak out even sort of anonymously for the first time and say, like, they failed us. Like, yes, we wanted out from under this system of oppression. And we weren't opposed to a body that presented sort of a solution that involved violence or a military response. But this is cataclysmic. There's no life left here to be lived. So we're supposed to support the people who got us here that, you know, could have anticipated this rain down of violence. It's not like, you know, the Palestinian people who are criticizing Hamas right now are pro-Israel. But it's like, this isn't going to work. I feel like that's just sort of the situation with both Hamas and Netanyahu. Like, this isn't going to work. We're in a new land. We're in a new place. We're in a new era. It's not just that Hamas could have anticipated the response. They provoked it. This was the intention. And they prepared to keep their own members supplied and hidden 
and secure and left everyone else to bear the brunt of the military response from Israel. And I don't believe for a moment, even if they backed a military plan to deal with Israel, I don't believe that the average person in Gaza would say, please go kidnap four-year-olds in my name. Please rape and murder women in my name. I just don't. This is all so soul-crushing. And I understand that there are just millions of stories behind how we got here and that there will be millions of stories on our way through this. And that's why I try to be really careful in what I'm saying about all of it, because I don't want hate crimes in the United States against anyone, Jews, Muslims, anyone. I want to listen to the people on the ground there and believe, as you said, the best of my government. I want to believe that this administration has prioritized peace the whole way through, and maybe their plan to get there deviates from what my armchair assessment might be. But I just have to believe that they know more than I do and and that they are they are working at it. And I'm so glad to see some fruit of that effort in the form of this truce that not only held despite Hamas firing those rockets, but was extended and seems to have the potential to continue to be extended. I just, I'm holding this with a lot of hope and prayer for the people who are most directly affected. Well, and I just think you see that there's no purity on the way to peace. This is a very complicated negotiation that required compromises from everyone. And a dedication to moving forward in the face of, you know, impossible heartbreak, impossible violence, impossible death and destruction, and just the sense of this is where we are and this is where we're trying to go and we're going to stay focused on that. And I think that that is easy to criticize, but I'm so thankful for the people who are a part of moving everyone towards the place we are now. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off.
there's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. But before Thanksgiving, the weekend before Thanksgiving, I went to New York City with my two beloved friends, Mike and Smith, who get mentioned a lot on this podcast. (laughs) We've been friends since college. This was our first trip together, probably, I think, maybe since like a spring break in college. I told them it was the best girls trip I've ever been on. (laughs) We had a lot of listeners say, though, uh, oh, can you talk about that? Can you talk about friendships between men and women? I mean, it is when Harry met Sally season. The premise of that movie is that is not a thing that men and women can be just friends. What's your stance on this? Oh, I think that men and women can absolutely be just friends and that it is really important that men and women be just friends. And my life would be much poorer if I believed that I couldn't have deep and meaningful relationships with men. I totally agree. I mean, I'm only half kidding. This is one of the easiest and most fun weekends I've ever had, like on a friend's trip. I have a controversial take. I mean, do you consider men a little bit easier to be friends with? I don't even know what I mean by the word easy, but I'm going to use it. I find the dynamics with men more straightforward than with other women. That's it. That's the word I'm looking for. Straightforward. That's it. I don't think that it's necessarily easier because there are moments when only a close woman 
comforts me or can hear me or can understand me the way that I'm looking for. But I think there is a, a richness that's available through how straightforward things are with men that I need also. Yeah. I don't want to pick one, right? I just want everyone to be out there on the table to be a, a good, loving friend. That's true. But I do think there is a narrative that, like, female friendship is the gold standard. And I do want to push gently on that standard because I don't think that's true. Yeah, I don't believe that. Mm-mm. I think female friendships can be difficult sometimes. You sent me a reel that was hilarious about a girl stripper. It was like, do you want to go to Mexican? Well, you had Mexican last week. Well, I don't want you to go to Mexican. Oh, but what about, and, you know, like that doesn't happen with my male friends. They're like, I don't want to do that. I'm going to go do this thing by myself <laughs> if you want to do that. I really appreciate that. I think, look, the other reality is like men work on me all the time. I live in a house currently with four men. Like I'm in a very masculine place all the time. And so I think I'm just developing an appreciation for the emotional skills of men because I think we have a narrative that men don't have emotional skills, and I don't think that's true. Different, not less, in one of the uses of one of my favorite phrases, right? I think it is different because I worked in such a masculine environment for so long. I had to have friendships with men or I would not have had many friends. The women who were my friends in that environment were extremely dear to me and so important. And I would not have made it without the women who were my friends in that environment. At the same time, it was a good place to to learn how to befriend men of all ages. And that's what I really miss mm. in some ways. I don't miss a lot about working in a law firm. <laughs> but I did enjoy having friendships, genuine friendships, with men of a, in a lot of different places in their lives. And yeah. kind of thinking about, like, all the directions life can take and and what men prioritize in their careers and how they navigate the places where their career comes in tension with their family. And uh, it's been hard to maintain those relationships now that I'm not there anymore. I think that's another struggle. I think women are generally a little bit better if you decide you want to maintain a relationship at doing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Men, I think, are easier to be friends with when you're in proximity with one another. And I think that's something that's really beautiful about your relationship with Mike and Smith. That could have gone by the wayside because you're all in different places, right? But that you've held on to it is pretty extraordinary. Yeah, we definitely, you know, I, I did like a little a little look back over our friendship um, in anticipation of this trip. I had a little 30-day email countdown with some old videos and pictures and all kinds of stuff. A lot of times it was me. I mean, I I basically, like, plucked them their freshman year and said, we will be friends just accordingly. Which is your M.O. Like, that's just how you work. I was about to say, I stayed at Elizabeth Passarella's house in New York City. This is also what happened to her. I said, I read her book. I said, me and this woman should be friends. And so I made it happen. And so, yes, that is the thing I do. And so, you know, when I left school because I'm two years older than them, they came and visited me a couple times. And then I think there was a, a few years where we didn't talk that much. And I thought, I don't like this. I'm not in favor of this. And so I said, we're going to be in a book club. We're going to read books and we're going to have FaceTimes together and we're going to talk about it. And I was the one pushing for this trip. They both turned 40 and I said, we're going to go somewhere. We're going to go somewhere and celebrate y'all's 40th birthday. And it was just soul healing. Like it just, you know, we had such a good time. We laughed our asses off. We ate our way through New York City. It was just the best possible sort of refreshing visit with friends. I do think that's true that women do a lot of the emotional work. But sometimes I think that's like we tell ourselves we should, and some of those friendships could fade away. (laughs) You know, like there's a cultural narrative there, gender narrative that like 
women are the best type of friends. They maintain the friendships. They're loyal, like all that kind of thing, too. Yeah, I think that women often proceed in our relationships with such awareness of how much is on our plates that we don't Mm want to ask anything of our women friends. Yes, that's so true. And, And it's easier to ask things of your men friends. Yes. Because one, you know that they probably are not managing maybe all the things that you're managing just emotionally already. But two, you also trust that they'll just say no if they're not available, you know, if they don't have the bandwidth for it. And so I feel like if we could just trust other women to just say no if they don't have the bandwidth and then we could trust ourselves to ask for what we need in those friendships, that, that we could have that kind of closeness with women that felt a little easier and a little lighter. Yeah, I guess that's it. I think there's some balance to be found both sides. Like, I think women could learn things from men and men could learn things from women when it comes to friendships. And I think that's why the female-male friendships are so valuable, because you kind of, like, get to glimpse the other side. You know what I mean? Like, you got to get to see, like, oh, this part is better and this part is easier in either spaces. And I think that balance is really, really beautiful. And especially for me as a mother of boys, when I'm around— Mike and Smith, I just think like, oh, this is the vision. Like, this is the version of masculinity. It makes me tear up. This is the version of masculinity like I want for my boys, right? I always laugh like I was going to send their mother's letters when I had my first son and say, like, just tell me what you did. Just lay it out for me real straight forward. But, you know, being friends with them for 20 years, I know what makes them so special. I know that, you know, they have balance between the two of them. They're like the odd couple, like Felix and Oscar. There's like a real kind of straight man, wild guy dynamic going on there. but. I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful for what they brought to my life over the past 20 years. I'm grateful that I got to spend time with them. I'm grateful for, you know, all my friendships. I know Thanksgiving is a time to be with family, but I think it also just brings in such sharp, beautiful relief. I mean, I know you had a Friendsgiving of what our friends bring to our lives. Well, that's really where I wanted to go in talking to you about this conversation because there are like a lot of layers here. The biggest one to me that is the hardest is just that you prioritize this time, that you prioritize the the time and the expense of a trip. I haven't thought in years about whether men and women can actually be friends without some kind of like sexual tension because that just seems so outrageous and dumb to me. Yeah, that's way old, yeah. I do think that there are many, many, many people who would say, I don't know that it's okay for me to take the time away from my family Mm-hmm. or to make this spend of money on something that doesn't involve my family. Like, leisure is so precious, yeah. right, in terms of resources, that to prioritize any friends, but especially friends of the opposite sex, I think that would trip people up. Yeah, and I mean, I, I got a lot of side-eye from my family members. They're like, you're going where, with who, for how long? Yeah. <laughs> and Matt, shout out to my husband, who was like, didn't bat an eye, absolutely. He loves them, too. You know, they have also been in his life for 20 years. He gets occasionally invited to our book club. So, like, that's part of it, too. And so, you know, the funny part is 20-year-old Sarah, when when we kind of, Nicholas went away to law school and I was still at Transy, was like, you may not be friends with women. I was very jealous. I had a very uh, cheaty previous boyfriend. And so I was, like, super aware. And so I was like, don't make friends with women. And meanwhile, I'm like, here are my new, two, <laughs> new friends, these two freshman guys. And Nicholas was like, what? Sorry, huh? But he's never been the jealous type. And that's probably why that friendship was allowed to flourish. 
And I'm grateful for Mike and Smith's partners who are like, yeah, for sure, go have fun. And I think that that's it. There's got to be so much trust. And I think in my life, first of all, my mom does that. My mom is a really great example to me. My mom and my grandmother are both friends, visit, go on trips frequently with friends from high school, friends from college into their like 60s, 70s, 80s. So I've always seen that example of like, this is where you spend time. You spend some of your time prioritizing friends. And my mom like goes on so many trips with all her girlfriends, same with my grandmother. So I kind of saw that example a lot growing up of like, well, this is this, this is a normal thing to do. You spend some of your vacation and your money and your time going to hang out with your friends. This is like a really important part of maintaining those friendships and loving those people and having them in your life. So I think that's part of it is I just saw that example my whole life growing up. And so I didn't know any different. So, you know, my college girlfriends and I went on trips, still do. I vacation with my best friend from college. Anywhere we go around the country, I'm like, who's nearby? I'm going to scoop them up while I'm there because I just find friendship so life-giving. I think that that calculus that a lot of women do, and I know we're talking in like broad, Very broad strokes, heteronormative, admitted, right? Admitted that mm-hmm. we are two 42-year-old women married to men with kids. Not to leave anyone out of the conversation. I just want to acknowledge that like that's where my pronouns and so forth go. But that calculus that we do of like, well, she's probably too busy, just deprives us of so much. Like, I yep. know so many women who will occasionally text me and be like, I'm sorry to bother you. I'm like, you're not bothering me. It's a text message. Like, <laughs> I want a text message. I, w- I want to hear from my people all day. I love a group text. Smart. And, and I feel totally uh, capable of managing when I respond to that. You know, no one's interrupting me or bugging me. And I trust my friends who I text to do the same. I think that we just have to adopt that posture that friendship matters. It's important that everybody wants it, that you're not the one who's chasing somebody else. They want that friendship too. And the the older I get and the more I see my girls developing their own lives, the more important my friends to become to me because I think like there's going to be a time, you know, December looks exhausting to me right now because we have so many kids activities, but that window will come to an end, right? And I'll be looking for what are we going to do next weekend? And I want to have lots of people that I look forward to spending that time with. I was was with my friend, Jen. We snuck out uh, on the day that I was hosting Thanksgiving to hit the Bath and Body Works sale. It was very fun. (laughs) What year is it? <laughs> and in the car, she she mentioned something to me next year and said, now, just just think about this and think about whether you guys might want to go. And I said, I don't have to think about it. Of course, I want to go. Absolutely, I want to go. I want to go and do all the things. I want to make all of the memories with you guys because you're so special to me. And uh, this time of life when we're able to do this because our kids are getting older is so special to me. And honestly, I wish I could go back to the version of me that was nursing a baby and trying to answer work email with the other hand and say, you you need more friends. This time will be easier for you if you will allow yourself to have more friends coming at you in different directions. It's just, it's so important. Well, and I think the other really key piece of this is the friendships I have maintained that are like a piece of my soul are because I asked things of those friends. I didn't just give. I didn't just worry about what I was taking. 
I'm an asker. If I want something, I'll ask for it. Uh, I think about that Ezra Klein interview he did on Death, Sex, and Money where he said, you can't just say, I'll watch your kids. If you want to build that type of community with other families, especially when you have little kids, it has to be, can you watch my kids? You know, and I think that the friendships that haven't sustained themselves, it's because I think I asked and they weren't there. And I thought, okay, well, then that's not going to work. This is not going to last. Not because I'm like a demanding friend. I don't think I'm a demanding friend, but I am I don't know the right word for it. Whatever's whatever's like 40% less of demanding. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I want something in return. And I think, but, and you can't, you can't give people the chance to form that connection if you never ask anything of them. And I don't mean like, you know, constant favors, but the sense of like, I want to see you in person. Let's show up for each other. That's important to me. You know, I think of my best friend, Laura, from law school. She came to my 30th birthday in Paducah, Kentucky. You know, when I go to my friend's town and I say, I want to see you and they show up, that matters. Like, I think that stuff adds up. But you have to ask. You have to ask. Well, I think what you really understand is that you can't have any trust without mutuality. Yeah. And you can't have mutuality until someone makes the first move to show that it's here. Mm -hmm. That's such a great moment on the Thanksgiving that I hosted with my friends. My friend Brian's sister, brother-in-law, and baby came into town that night, and they were just going to stop and get dinner on their way in. And he said, just come to Beth's house. There'll be plenty of food. And I was so yep. thrilled. Yep. And I was so thrilled that when they came in, I was like, what would you all like to drink? And, they, and she, his Brian's sister-in-law was like, glass of wine. I didn't have a bottle of wine out or open, <laughs> but I was like, yes, I would, I would be delighted to find a bottle of wine and get that to you. I was just glad that they came in and asked for what it's they wanted, what would make it a nice time. And then Brian was in my kitchen doing dishes. And I said, you know, you don't have to do this. And he said, I would feel less like family if I weren't doing dishes with you right now. And I Aww. just thought, like, I, this is this is what I want. Like, I just was walking on air about how all that unfolded. Because it, it said to me, like, we're not afraid to ask things of each other. And it doesn't feel like much of an ask because this relationship is so important. Yep. No, I totally agree. I think that that mutuality, that's the perfect word for it. This sense of I will say what I need, you will say what you need, and we will try to find a path forward together. That has to be an essential component of it. And I think that's, you know, what we were getting at with our How to Enjoy Your People episode, too, that sense of mutuality and connection. And I just think assuming the whole way through, maybe this is like a personality factor for me, but assuming the whole way through that you take as much joy in me as I take in you. Mm -hmm. That has been essential for me. I'm not a bother. Yeah. That, that you you like me too. And you want to hang yeah. out with me too. And you want my text message just like I want yours. Yep. Yep. No, I totally agree. What a gift these people are in our lives. I'm so grateful for every single one of my friends, but particularly for Mike and Smith coming off of our fabulous weekend in New York City. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Pantsuit Politics. We hope we'll see all of you premium members on Thursday night for our final live event of the year. If you aren't able to join us live, don't worry. You'll be able to view the recording of the event anytime through the same link. We will be back in your ears on Friday. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsu Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our Managing Director. Maggie Pinton is our Director of Community Engagement. Xander Singh is the composer of our theme music with inspiration from original work by Dante Lima. Our show is listener-supported. 
Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. Catherine Vollmer. Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. Linda Daniel. Emily Neasley. The Hutchins! Tracy Putoff. Sarah Ralph. Jeremy Sequoia. Katie Steigers. Karen True. Annika Uveline. Nick and Elisa Valelli. Amy Whited. Emily Helen Olson. Lee Shea McDonough. Morgan McHugh. Jen Ross. Sabrina Drago. Becca Dorval. Christina Cordararo. The Adair family. Jeff Davis, Melinda Johnston, Michelle Wood, Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller.